Good morning, church family. Merry Christmas. We're going to be reading out of the first chapter of Timothy. Jackie, in his infinite wisdom, says he's going to find a Christmas story in there for us. I have no doubt he'll do that. So if you want to follow along, we're in uh, the book of Timothy, chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ our hope, to Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I urge you, when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables or endless genealogies, which causes dispute rather than godly edification which is in faith. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but the law is, but, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly, for the sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which is committed to my trust. And I thank Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in first Jesus Christ might show long-suffering as a pattern to those who were going to believe in him for everlasting life. Now to the King Eternal, Immortal, Invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage a good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, who I deliver to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Would you pray with me? Father God, we just come before you this morning with a heart of thanks for all that you do for us. And as the year comes down to the to the end of the year, Lord, we just ask that uh, you would finish us out, that you would just open our eyes and open our hearts, Lord, and just fill us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, I just ask that you bless Jackie as he brings forth your word. Just uh, touch him with your Holy Spirit. And Lord, you brought us all here for a reason. We're, we're not here on our own accord that you brought us here. And you've, you've got a message for each one of us. And I just ask that uh, we be potters. For, and you be, or we be the potter. We be the clay and you be the potter, Lord. That we just, uh, we just let you mold us into a, into a vessel of honor. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. So, here's the Christmas story. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. The Lord provided something for you and I that we celebrate on December 25th as the greatest gift ever given It was a gift of grace. And when we consider that gift of grace, there's probably no better place to look than this particular section in in 1 Timothy chapter 1 because Paul 
really is descriptive of of why that is important for us and and hopefully we'll be able to to get this across the vital thing for us to remember because our tendency is to drift into an idea of self-righteousness in other words uh, we consider all the things we don't do or we do do and that those are the things that make us good people and that was never how Paul understood his his righteousness and nor should it be how we understand ours Our righteousness is not something we produce by the good works that God has ordained that we should walk in. No one's denying that we should walk in good works. I'm just saying those aren't the basis of your righteousness. They're not the basis of the greatest gift ever given. The basis of the greatest gift ever given is God's love for you. So that he provided away the basis of that gift is solely grace and mercy and if we understand that that gift is grace and mercy and not something that somehow I earned by a list of my own do's and don'ts then I will with Paul join him in this phrase in 1st Timothy 1 12 I thank him the, the natural flow or result of mercy in our life is thanksgiving to God. Thank you. So often what happens, and in, in you and I, we've all experienced this, right? Where we enter into a time, uh, uh, at the men's breakfast, we talked about the Valley of Baca, the time of trouble. The psalmist would write about in Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of... Death, right? So we have these times in our life where the Word of God tells us we're going to walk through a valley of trouble or a place of the shadow of death. And often when we get there, myself included, often when we get there, we look to God and we go, where are you? Why is this happening to me? What's going on? And Part of that root, I just want you to understand, part of the root reason we do that is because we think we deserve better. We think life should be good and I should have, you know, all of my honey pots full of honey and all the things ought to be going because I'm a good person. And really at the root of our struggle is this concept. Even if we don't really verbalize it, we do when we go through times of trouble and we, we shake a fist at heaven and we say, where are you? Now, I don't mean to condemn the action. I'm saying I, I do that as well. Every time I get into the valley of the shadow of death, my first question is, hey, Lord, what's going on? What happened? You know what the word of God declares that Jesus came to give us life and life how? More abundantly. And so Lord, where's where's that abundant life? And we when we do that, I just want you to realize we're losing grasp of the value of the gift that you were given. Sometimes we don't really value that all that much. Right? You know that the Bible says that God gave us everything that he had in his son. How will he not also with him freely give all things? There's, there was nothing better that God could give you. Not health, not wealth, not wisdom, not any amount of things that you might say, I wish this was under the tree. And we all understand what it's like. Have you ever given somebody a gift, they open up and they go, uh... Yeah, so I'll just tell you, if you do that to me, I'll take it back. (laughs) You don't like it, give it to me. I'll use it. And what's the first thing you think when somebody does that? Even when it's a child, we think the same thing. Oh, you ungrateful. And whatever we're giving is infinitely less valuable than Jesus Christ. Infinitely less. How many times do we neglect to 
understand the value. And that's what Paul wants us to see in 1 Timothy 1, 12 to 20. That's our section we're going to look at this morning. And as we look at it, I just want you to see the, the, the emphasis that Paul's giving is on the value of Christ. How valuable that is. And to not neglect the beauty that has been provided for us. And the incredible hope. We talked this morning about grief share, right? And about sharing our grief and coming alongside and sharing one another's burden. But you know what the Bible says about grief? We don't grieve as those who have no hope. Why? Because Christ was born. We don't grieve as those who have no hope because we have hope in Christ that this is not the end. That death has been defeated. That all who profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior have a seat at the table. So we grieve, but not as those who have no hope, because we have a hope in Christ Jesus. Everyone who dies can face one thing. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die, and then judgment. The one thing all people have to look forward to at death is judgment, except for the believer. Do you know why? Because Jesus Christ was born. That gift... Jude 24 and 25 says that Jesus' greatest joy, when you arrive having professed your faith in Christ, doesn't just happen naturally. God provided a way, you have to receive it, right? You have to take it. You have to open the gift. You have to see the value and what was given. You open that gift and it says Jesus' greatest joy is to stand next to you who are not perfect in and of your own, And to present you before the Father absolutely perfect. It's such a beautiful thing he gives. Because I know I'm not perfect. I don't always make the choice I ought to make in the moment. I don't always uh, um, choose to be who I'm supposed to be in Christ. Sometimes I get angry. Sometimes I get frustrated. Sometimes I don't extend the same grace that God has given me. There's a lot of, of struggle. I have a lot of failures. And if I piled up all of those failures, I don't have a right to stand blameless before God. Jesus, he gives me the right. I don't earn it from him. I receive it from him. Because God so loved the world. He gave. That's what we celebrate now. What does that have to do with the tree? Except for the fact that the tree is going to become a cross in a few years? Nothing. Why do we give gifts? As believers, we give gifts to celebrate the reality that God gave the greatest gift of all. But more often than not, we lose sight of that gift and we think more about, uh, what am I going to get? And we get excited as so sometimes that has more value than the gift that was provided 2,000 years ago. That you didn't even know you needed, but that God gave. If you understand the mercy of God, you start with the same phrase that Paul started with. So I thank God. For what has God done? He says, I thank him who has given me strength. How is it, Paul, that you accomplish any of the things you accomplish? Paul says this so many times, it's almost repeated ad nauseum. He achieves what he achieves because he receives strength from the Lord, not because of what he has. Paul was not chosen because of his natural gifts. Paul was not chosen because he was an incredible order. In fact, we know that Barnabas was better, and so was Apollos. People were far more entertained and captivated by their teachings, by their speeches, than they ever were for Paul. Paul would teach so long that people fell asleep and died in his service. It wasn't his natural abilities. Paul's going to go into why he was chosen. Paul's going to describe it for us. But he thanks God because all the strength that he has comes from 
the Lord. Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? Because he judged me faithful. Now here's what I really want you to get from this. He judged me faithful. Just, just, just hear this in your mind. I am who he says I am. He doesn't look at Paul and go, wow, Paul, you're so faithful. I need your faithfulness. No. Paul is faithful because Jesus Christ declared him so. Do you understand the difference? Paul's going to describe who he is, and who he is is not faithful. Who he is is a murderer. Who he is is an insolent man, a bully, a violent person. That's who Paul was. Paul is not going to say, man, I'm, I'm, I was so good. He is accounted faithful because the Lord declared him. He judged me. He is declared by Jesus Christ faithful. And he appointed me to service. It's the idea of clothed me for service. It's like he found me in wherever I was. And he said, oh, mighty man of valor. You ever heard that story? When we talk about Gideon in the Old Testament, the, the Midianites are oppressing the children of Israel. And every time the children of Israel go to harvest, and they start to harvest something, they would cut all the grain. And when do you want to attack somebody? Well, don't attack them before harvest. Then you have to do it. So you wait until harvest is done. And all their fruit is laying out for you to take. That's when you come. So they just wait. The Midianites would just watch. Hey, they're harvesting now. Okay, well, let's let them thrash it. I don't want to thrash it. So the people would go up on top of a hill, thresh the grain, right? Throw it up in the air, chaff blows away. And then the Midianites would come, attack them, kill them, and take their stuff. So Gideon, he says, well, forget it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to thresh my wheat in a pit. That doesn't work. Why do people thresh wheat on a hill? So when you throw it up in the air, the wind will blow the chaff away, right? How's that work in a pit? When you throw the wheat up in the air, where does the chaff go? Just falls all over your head. But he's saying, I don't want them to steal my stuff, so I'm, I'll show them. I'll just thresh it in a, in a pit. So I just want you to see the man hiding in a hole, threshing his wheat, all chaff all over his body. And the angel of the Lord comes to him and declares to him, O mighty man of valor. Just so you know, my picture of a mighty man of valor would be the dude standing on the hill threshing the wheat. Say, come get it. You show up, I'm going to beat you with my rake. (laughs) You think that don't happen? You should read David's mighty man. You read the story about David's mighty man who one man defended a, a field of beans, lentils. Why? I don't like lentils. If you came to take my lentils, I'd let you have it just because I don't want them. But he's got this field of beans and he fights them all off by himself. That's one of David's mighty men. That's a mighty man of valor. Gideon's in a hole. Listen, who is Gideon? Gideon is who God says he is. Because when God declares you're a mighty man of valor, who is he? Why? Because God made him so. Do you understand? So when, when Paul says, the Lord declares me, he judged me faithful. He appointed me, clothed me into service. Now, why is this? I I just want you to understand. Paul just used the phrase, he judged me faithful. And then he's going to say who he was when he was judged faithful. He was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. Just like Gideon. Just like so many. Who was Moses? He was a murderer. He killed an Egyptian. You don't remember? Took the law into his own hands. Just just go over the leadership of the nation of Israel and over and over and over again, you realize we are truly a broken people. But when God declares us mighty, when God declares us more than conquerors, when God tells us we have strength to do all things through him, then what are we? We are who he says we are.
through the mercy that comes from Jesus Christ. Look, he says in verse 13, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly. I didn't know what I was doing. Now, I just have a question. Did he know what he was doing when he said that Jesus Christ as Messiah was a liar? He did that, right? He was a blasphemer. How do you blaspheme? So when he says, I've done this ignorantly, I've done this in unbelief, he's saying, look, this is, this is my ignorance. My ignorance was that my righteousness came through the acts of the law. Through the acts of the law. I, I am receiving my, my, uh, um, my value through the things I did. So when he says, I, I did these things ignorantly, he's saying, look, I, I thought Jesus was a big lie and a hoax, so I became a blasphemer and a persecutor and a bully, and I arrested and beat and did all these things that I did, but I thought I was good because I kept the law. But you know, Paul rejected it. He rejected the law. No? Philippians chapter 3, verse 4. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. So Paul says, I was good at this. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law. What's he say? Blameless. Hey, he's saying, I believe my righteousness came through my upkeeping of the law. I did. I fulfilled the purpose of the law. And that's fulfilling the purpose of the law. I did it. And so I'm, I'm righteous. I'm blameless. What's the next line? But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever I thought I had accomplished this way, I realize I have not accomplished it. I count it as loss. It's gone. Indeed, I count everything as loss. What's everything mean? You think it's a tricky word? Does everything mean what it says? I counted everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Nothing else matters but knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. Isn't that what he's saying? I count everything I've done, everything I achieved, everything I was about in my former life, I count it all loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And for his sake, I have suffered the loss of, what's the next word? All. What do you think that means? I have suffered the loss of all things. Most things? A few things. Some of the things I don't really care about. What do you think he means? You think all means all? It's not a trick. Yeah, so I suffered the loss of all things. And I count them as, and here the, the, the Bible experts give us so much help. Because they use a nice word. Rubbish. Doesn't that sound nice? I won't tell you what it really says. You're not allowed to talk like that in church. The Bible says it's all dung. It's all, my whole former life, this whole attitude of a pursuit of the Torah for righteousness, this whole thing that I thought my life was about, it was all for nothing. For the surpassing value of Christ Jesus my Lord. So for Jesus Christ I let all of that go. How much is all? I let all of that go. I suffered the loss of all things. I count them as garbage. Trash. So that I might gain Christ. All I want is him. All I want is Christ. And to be found in him. I want to be found in Christ Jesus. What's the next phrase? Not having righteousness of my own. 
Paul says, I am not good. Jesus makes me good. I cannot be good enough or do good enough things. Jesus Christ makes me good. A life in Christ Jesus is a life following Christ Jesus. Does that mean if I profess Christ Jesus and I don't, none of these things follow my life? Is that profession real? You remember the the book of Jude, right? There's such a thing as a make-believer, right? No, brother, if you are in Christ Jesus, you're covered in his righteousness. You can't stand on top of the giant pile of garbage and declare yourself king of the hill. Because all you want is him. I just want him. It's not my own righteousness, but it's what comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on, what's the word? Faith. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. So that I might know him and the power of the resurrection. Now what is that for Paul? Listen. He says, so that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. Because I was a blasphemer. Because I was a persecutor. I was a murderer. I was a bully. That's what I was. But now I am who he said I am. Now I'm righteous because he declares me so. Now I'm a holy because he declares me so. So all I want, Paul says, all I want in all the world is to be found in Christ, that I might know the power of his resurrection. Which means what? That though we were dead in trespasses in sin, he made us alive together with him. So what is the power of the resurrection? The power of a changed life. You look at Paul's life before Christ, does it look the same after Nope, he looks like a guy who got hit by a truck, right? His life is radically transformed. It's radically transformed. I want to be in him that I might know the power of his resurrection, share in his sufferings, become like him in his death. He says, I want to be like Jesus in every way. I want to be like Jesus in every way, even the way that he died. I want to die to my selfishness. I want to die to all the things in my life that aren't like him. I want to be like him in his death. That by all means or any means possible, I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. Man, I want to walk in that reality that Jesus Christ has bought for me. So I thank him because I was this, but he changed me. I became who he said I am. By the power of his resurrection, he transformed my life. A profession that comes without the power of the resurrection in one's life is not a profession. It's just words. The reality of being in Christ Jesus is the power of the resurrection works in your life. And I am not who I was. And I may not be who I will yet be. But I'm not who I was, and I don't miss that guy. I am who he says I am. For you, we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. We can do all things through him. No? I can do all things through him. Without him, I can do nothing. But with him, there's nothing I can't do. We are who he says we are. So this trusting that by faith I am exactly what he says. So grace, the grace of God is what makes it possible. Look at verse 14. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So it's like I was all these things, but the grace of our Lord overflowed to me. Grace overwhelmed my sin. Man, that's like one of the most incredible things you can ever imagine. Because I'm a guilty man. I'm guilty before God. There's no one who will stand before God not guilty. And as a guilty man before God, the grace that Jesus Christ provided for me overwhelmed my sin. 
That gift given on Christmas morning, that little baby that shepherds came and, and stood around and watched angels sing. A couple years later when the Magi who were lifted up by Daniel and instructed in prophetic ways who saw in the heavens reading the stars the, the birth of the child. You want to understand how that works? Read Revelation 12. Revelation 12 is a prophecy from the stars. Pay attention to it. They come and say there's a king born. Where is this king? And when they came to the king, they gave him interesting gifts. No? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold is a gift for a king. Frankincense for a priest. Myrrh is for the dead. The grace that God gave through this little child who provided for me atonement, the grace overwhelmed my sin so that when I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, His grace washes me whiter than snow. Man, that's pretty incredible. That's pretty amazing. His grace overflowed with what? Faith and love. Faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. I am who he says I am and he loves me. I'm a mess and I'm broken and I'm dumb sometimes. But he loves me anyway. I love that song that talks about I'm the one that held the nail. I'm driving the nails in in the one who was crucified for me. And as I'm doing that, he loved me anyway. Man, that's beautiful. So look at what Paul says in verse 15. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. This is this is the summation. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Isn't that good news? Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Look, Paul was not ashamed to say, I'm broken. Paul was not ashamed to say, I am chief of sinners. Uh, he's not he's not here saying man i'm 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 a pretty good guy i I've got it all together I'm doing it all right I've got a, all of my dots are crossed my dots are dotted and my my t's are crossed <coughs> he says Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners now the law came in Romans five to increase the trespass but where sin increased grace overflowed. There's no sin that grace can't abound over. Grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through the righteousness leading to eternal life. This righteousness through whom? Jesus Christ. Not through me. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Psalm 103, verse 8, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sin, nor repay us according to our iniquity. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgression from us. As a father shows compassion upon his children, so the Lord shows compassion upon those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers we are dust. From dust you are made, to dust you will return. The Lord says, I know, I know your frame, but I just want you to understand that my grace is being extended. Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners. Jesus said, I did not come to the world to condemn the world. Why? Do you remember? He said, I did not come to the world to condemn the world because the world is condemned already. 
When the Pharisees would stand up against him and say, Why are you touching these dirty people? Why are you talking to these horrible sinners? Why do you hang out with all these people? And Jesus said, I came for for the sick. If you're not sick, I can't do nothing for you. Do you get what he's saying? If you're not a sinner, I can't save you. If you're not a sinner, then you got to save yourself. Good luck. Jesus Christ came to the world to save whom? Sinners. He came to heal whom? The sick. Paul says, not many strong, not many noble, not many wise. Why? Because they spend a lot of time looking at how good they are. They don't. They're not able to come and say, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said two men came to the temple to pray. One talked about how he's better than the other guys. I'm better than that guy. I'm better than that guy. I don't do what that guy does. I don't do what that guy does. In his prayer, nothing occurs. The tax collector comes and he beats his breast and he says, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And Jesus said, that one left justified. That one left Because he could say, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Jesus came to save sinners. And you who were dead in your trespasses and sin. Ephesians 2.1. In which you once walked. Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work. And the sons of disobedience. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. So everyone is in this category. Dead. In trespasses in sin. We carried out the desires of the body and the mind. We're by nature children of wrath. Meaning we're condemned by God the Father. Like the rest of mankind. How many people is the rest of mankind? That's got us all, right? But God, verse 4. Most important part of the verse. But God. But God. He didn't leave us that way. Because on Christmas morning, a baby was born. For God so loved the world that he gave. And the grace delivered to us through Jesus Christ our Lord. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even though we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us. Where? In Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is what? The gift of God. Merry Christmas. It's the gift of of God. First Timothy verse 9 and 10, just a couple of verses previous to where we are. He says, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless, for the disobedient. How many are lawless and disobedient? Everybody. For ungodly and sinner, for unholy and profane, for those who strike Fathers, mothers, murderers, sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. In Galatians, he said, the law is your tutor. What does it do? It shows that you need a savior. For no one who practices these things can inherit the kingdom of God. Nobody. We were once dead in our trespasses and sin, but God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive together in Christ. When Jesus rose from the dead, he paid the price. He made atonement. When you, by faith, receive the gift that he's provided, his grace overwhelms your sin. And when you truly enter into Christ, you will turn from your sin and follow him. You'll follow him. And we'll live a life of repentance and confession. We'll realize the purpose. Why does God accomplish all this? In verse 16, I received mercy for this reason. That in me, as the foremost, he's talking about his, he's a sinner, right? 
Why did I get mercy? In me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience. Why did God save you, Paul? Because he's long-suffering and patient. What did Peter write? Second Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. As some count slowness, but he's patient toward you. What's the next line? Not wishing that any should perish, but that... What's the next word? All would come to repentance. Why, Lord? Why, Lord? Because he's long-suffering and patient. He waited for you. He waited for me. And he waits because he is long-suffering. But he told us in Psalm 103, he will not hold his anger forever. As sure as the grave is judgment day. How many of us are going to die? All of us. Unless Jesus comes back, we're all going to die. We are mortal. We don't live forever. We're all going to die. And as sure as the grave is God's judgment. That's what it means. It's appointed unto man once to die and then judgment. As sure as the grave is the judgment of God. He will not hold his anger forever, but he has made a way. Merry Christmas. He has provided grace that will overwhelm your sin. Merry Christmas. He has made you alive together with him if you confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Wow, what a beautiful thing. It's so incredible when we consider it. But listen to Paul's boast in 2 Corinthians 12, 5. He says, on behalf of this man, I will boast. That's earlier he was talking about, there was a man, you know, he's, I think he's describing himself at Iconium and Lystra, who went to the third heaven and saw God, right? Had this incredible revelation. Certainly in Paul's life, God did some incredible things in Paul's life, right? How many of you have had the opportunity to see the risen Lord? I didn't. That's one of the great things I'm looking forward to. Oh, I've, I've had dreams and stuff, but I mean one day I'm going to see him. Paul didn't have a dream. Jesus was standing in front of him. Not a Jesus, something like Jesus. No, Jesus. In all his glory, the light was so bright it blinded him. Remember? He dropped to the ground and he declared, Lord, Sovereign One. King, who are you? And Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Did the persecution end? Yep, from Paul it did. Right then. Yeah, Lord, sorry. Have mercy on me, what? What did God do? Have mercy on him. He saved him, he empowered him, he became who he said he was. He becomes a missionary to go forth to the world. But Paul says, because all these things happen, I might boast about that guy, but listen to what he boasts on. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except where? In my weakness. Jackie, why do you talk so much about broken? If we are who God says we are, then we're more than conquerors. And we have victory over death. And all those things are absolutely true. But I won't boast in that. For me, I will boast in my weakness. Not because I'm, I don't have all those things because of me. I have those things because of Jesus. So Jesus is glorified, not Jackie. Jesus is to be glorified. He says, I will boast only in my weakness. Though if I would wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be, I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one would think of me more than he sees in me or hears from me. <clears throat> so to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, because of the incredible gift that he was given, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said, what? My grace is enough for you. God has given everything you will ever need when he gave you grace. You don't need anything else. Paul said, I do, Lord, I need this thing to go away. 
I need this thorn in my flesh. Whatever it was. It does not matter at all. Because we all have different ones. Don't we? (coughs) I want this thing to go away. Paul said it's a messenger of Satan sent to buffet me. Maybe it's uh, memories of the people he killed who were Christians beforehand. That's what they did in the movie uh, Paul the Apostle, which I thought was pretty cool. But, but we don't know. It doesn't matter. He said, I prayed, and God said, no, you have enough. You have enough. But sometimes we don't think we have enough, right? I just need a little more. I want more time. I want more stuff. I want more things. And it's okay. We have desires. But the way we curb our desires is to value Christ above all. And then he will give you the desires of your heart. Because now you can trust him. Hezekiah was a good king. He did a lot of good things. And one day he got sick and he said, send for the prophet. And the prophet came and he asked the prophet, am I going to get better? And the prophet said, no. Your time has come. It's time for you to go to your fathers. And Hezekiah wept. And he cried out to God and he said, Lord, give me more time. So the Lord said, okay. He gave him more time. During the time that Hezekiah was given, he fathered a child named Manasseh. Who ruled as king, as the longest reigning king in Israel's history. That king, Manasseh, was the most wicked king that Israel ever had. And he led the children of Israel into captivity in Babylon. Now wait, before you think you know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, listen. We don't always know good from bad, do we? You know the incredible story of Manasseh? Manasseh reigns and he's taken captive. And when he's taken captive, listen, the king who ruled the longest period of time, Manasseh's taken captive, and in captivity, while he's suffering, while he's going through the struggles in life, you know what he does? He repents. You know what God does? He forgives him. Do you know the most wicked example of a king, because Hezekiah asked for more time and God gave him more time and he fathered a son named Manasseh who was the worst king in Israel's history, did the most wicked things, was a horrible, horrible, horrible sinner, killed his own children when he built his house, he buried his children in the foundation, he offered, he sacrificed kids, he's as bad as you could ever be, and then he repents and God does what he does for everyone who repents and he forgave him. And Manasseh finished out his reign positively he becomes the greatest example of the long suffering of God in the Old Testament look I don't know if God we're supposed to have more time or less time this is what I know God will always redeem what you do he'll always redeem the struggle. He'll always redeem our failure. He'll always redeem because we are more than conquerors through him. We have everything we need through him. So if we live a life just committed to him, you really can't mess it up. As long as you trust in him. Paul would say, for the sake of Christ, I am content with weakness, insults, Hardship, persecution, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He's saying, all I need is Jesus. And as soon as he thinks about that, look at verse 17. He says, to the king of the ages, the immortal, invisible, the only God. He immediately goes into spontaneous praise when he thinks about what Christ has accomplished in his life. The only God be glory and honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He is king eternal. He is immune from corruption. He is invisible, unknowable. So the only way that we can know God is through revelation. Where do we receive that revelation? John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. The glory as of the only son of the father full of grace and truth. How do we know the unknowable God? 
through Jesus Christ, his son. That's his final revelation. Hebrews 1.1, read it. That's it. Jesus Christ is everything he was going to give. He has freely given us all things. So verse 18, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, <coughs> that by them you would wage a good warfare. He says, look, I want you to hold fast on what God has told you. Now today we receive what God has told us through his word. We may receive it by the laying on of hands. Someone may prophesy over you. Kathy and I have both experienced that in our lives where folks have come up, laid hands on us, prophesied over us, and we hold fast to the word we receive from the Lord. We rely on him. We are, we are holding fast to him because he is everything we need. For what purpose? Why am I relying on his word? Why do I hold fast to the things that have been said? Because there is a battle and I have been asked to wage the good warfare. What's another way to say that? Fight the good fight. You've heard that before, right? I have been challenged to fight the good fight. Why? Ephesians 6.12 says, We don't wrestle with flesh and blood. Your enemy are not the Democrats. For the Democrats, your enemy is not the Republicans. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. Our enemies... We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Who's our enemy? It's not flesh and blood. People are deceived. People are deceived. Just like you were once deceived. But God's grace was able to overwhelm that sin, right? Can it overwhelm other people's? Hmm. So we need to fight the good fight. First Timothy 6.12 says, Fight the good fight of faith. How? Take hold of eternal life to which you were called, and about which you have made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. What? Take hold. Fight the good fight. Take hold of eternal life and go and be his witness, says. You know what the word for witness is? In Greek, martus. Sound familiar? What do you think martus also means? Martyr, right? What does he say in, is it, is it Romans? I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Martus. You present yourself as a witness for God. Fight the good fight of faith. And then recognize the danger. This charge I entrust, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies made about you, that by them you wage a good warfare. warfare. Holding faith and a good conscience. Holding faith. Hold on. By rejecting this, rejecting what? Faith and a good conscience. We reject faith in Christ and we think we can do it ourselves. And when we do that, we will shipwreck our faith. Have you seen any of that in the news lately? Several people's faith has been shipwrecked. Why has it been shipwrecked? Because they have not held on to faith. It's not a work that Christ is accomplishing. We don't have to trust him. We don't have to cling to the foundation that God has provided. We're left shipwrecked. We have nothing to anchor to. When you reject the word of God, by what will you then declare something to be good or evil? By your own judgment? And what makes your own judgment valid? We're left adrift. And we will be shipwrecked on the rocks. He names two guys, Hymenaeus and Alexander. Two guys who were shipwrecked in their face. So, so he says, I have handed them over to Satan. This is what the Bible tells us to do. When people reject the truth of Jesus Christ, when they become wolves in ship's clothing, he says, when they reject the faith and they're shipwrecked, and they're false teachers, he's talked about that in the first half of 1 Timothy, then we turn them over. Hey Amen. You got to go discover that the road you're on doesn't lead to life. Anybody ever, you know, been trucking down the road, walking with Christ, doing things, and then all of a sudden got a little shipwrecked, lost your way? The book of Proverbs tells us, in essence, the book of Proverbs tells us there's two paths that you can go by. You thought Led Zeppelin was the first person who said that, right? 
two paths you can go by. I also like what they say. There's still time to change the road you're on. That's what Proverbs tells you. Why does it warn us against the path of the fool and the path of the wise? The path of the fool always leads to death. The path of the wise always leads to life. He's saying you need to pay attention to what road you're on. Sometimes we're following Christ and we're trucking with him and then something happens. and We lose hold of our faith. We get shipwrecked. Next thing I know, I'm walking down the road, but I start looking around and I notice that all the signs I see are pointing to death. Death, death, death. Why are they pointing to death? What's God want me to do? Turn around. It's not that hard, is it? What stops most people from turning around? Pride. God says, I hate pride. Why does he hate pride? Because it keeps you from coming to him. We turn around on that road, we repent, we say, I'm going the wrong way, man, I, I, got, I got off track. He says, turn these guys over to Satan, why? For the destruction of their flesh, that their soul might be saved. That's what the scripture declares. So that you go down the road far enough to recognize, wow, I'm, I'm, this is not where I intended to be. Have you ever looked at something in your life and said, how did I get here? How did I get to this spot? I, my intent was not to be at this spot. My intent wasn't to be homeless. You think people wake up and go, you know, I want to be homeless. No, it's an unintended goal from choices, right? But when you recognize, according to the book of Proverbs, when you recognize you're on the wrong road, what does God want you to do? Repent. Repent. All that means is turn around. Jesus, according to the book of Proverbs, Jesus is woman wisdom who is always shouting in the street, come follow me why is she shouting in the street to come follow me because wisdom leads to what jesus said i came to give you life and life how more abundantly come follow me because if you follow him that's victory and all of that all of that is christmas for you amen why don't you stand with me let's pray Father God, we thank you for this time. We can stand before you in the truth of your word, Lord God, because we can know right from wrong because your word declares it. We can stand on the authority of the God who knows all things. And we can say, this is what he says. And I believe what he says. I stand on what he says. And so my path is sure. That I... I was the foremost of sinners, just like Paul. But God, who is rich in mercy and the love with which he has loved us, he has made me alive together with Christ. For as Christ was risen from the dead, you, Lord Jesus, have ushered into me new life. I was a murderer. I was an insolent man. I recognize my weakness, my brokenness, and I know that I'm only made whole when I am in Christ Jesus. When I am in Him, His grace overwhelms my sin. His Word declares that if I will live a life being faithful to confess my sin, He'll forgive me of my sin and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. He'll keep me on the road. I will keep my eyes on Him for I am persuaded that He is able to keep me from stumbling. And He will present me without fault before His Father in heaven. It's a work He did. He is the greatest gift. So Paul said, I throw away everything else for the excellency, the surpassing knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. I just want to know him. I want to go where he goes, do what he does, say what he says. God says, these two things I want from my people, that they would know me and that they would be faithful to me. And then he gave us a gift so that we could do it. Jesus Christ, his son. Lord, this time of year we celebrate that giving of that gift. And somehow, in some way, men and women across the globe suddenly become a little kinder. It's just the effect 
of a gift given 2,000 years ago. So God, may we understand the value that you have provided us. May we not reject the beauty of what you've given. May we know that it's really all we ever need. For his grace will sustain me. It will make me able to stand. So God, be glorified as we celebrate you this week. God, be glorified as we look to you. God, give us opportunity to share. And Lord Jesus, we find ourselves in a place that we need to turn around then. By all means, may we not stand in pride, but rather stoop in humility. Beat our breasts and say, have mercy on me, a sinner. And recognize that the grace of God will overwhelm my sin. And he will forgive. God be glorified as we look to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.